where does holiness come from? Is it in our matters of personal devotion? Is it our discipline? Is it something in us? Or is holiness Christ? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. at WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you missed the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you'll find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. I do want to say that um, if you go to godsresistance.com and you want to learn more about what's going on or, or keep up with what's happening here, there is a monthly newsletter that will be put out. And when you navigate to that website, wait just a couple seconds, a pop-up will come up. You can put your email information in and then you can um, get updates. So uh, please do that if you're interested. Also, uh, we were out on the square every Sunday um, at noon, but for these winter months, we are not going to be out on the square. We will be picking it up again in the spring. There may be occasions where we're going out, um, you know, just here or there, but not a regular uh, manner throughout the winter here. So I just wanted to let you know that. Also, um, let's see here. You can contact us um, at gods.resistance at gmail.com if you're an email kind of a person. Uh, or you can give us a call at 570-362-7782. That number can also receive texts. We would love to hear from you. We want to help people in their journey as they try to walk with God, as they are trying to follow after Christ. And so we encourage you, please contact us, and we would like to just help you as best as we know how. As God has helped us, we want to pass it along to you. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We have been going through, we took a break for two um, Sundays here uh, around the Christmas time, but we are, uh, we've been going through a book called Be Ye Holy, Leslie D. Wilcox. Uh, excellent book. I would recommend anybody buy it. You can probably find it on Amazon or some places like that. If not, I believe this was published through, let me see here. God's Bible School and Missionary Training Home, it says. So if you would contact God's Bible School out of Cincinnati, Ohio, I think they they have, yes, the Revivalist Press is their publishing. Uh, you can get this from them. Excellent book, uh, goes through a bunch of different scriptures, just pulls everything out there, then gives you lists of reading outside of the scripture of several different authors talking about the same topics. Um, very good reading. Uh, I think you will find that at large, there's no twisting around of things to try and just fit because it sounds like uh, that's what I want it to say. Um, there is just very good exegesis in here, taking the scriptures for what it says and then moving through it. I find this to be an, an excellent book. I've read several different books uh, on this topic, and this one by far uh, is the most accessible, easy, and um, just helpful. So 
we had been going through, um, first we did terminology of holiness. And so the terminology of holiness, just defining terms that we were going, we're going to use as we go throughout this study. Um, and then, and that was in definitions, but then we also talked about why is holiness necessary? We talked about holiness and the divine nature. So holiness and God, we talked about holiness and the divine will. This is God's will that we should live holy. And then we talked about holiness and human sin. And that was where we left off. Now we're moving into uh, a third part here, uh, divine methods for affecting holiness. This third part is going to have three separate things that we go through. Uh, so divine methods for affecting holiness. The scripture speaks uh, of the work of entire sanctification or of cleansing being wrought in the human soul through the agency or through the instrumentality of various divinely chosen instruments or agencies. Uh, a holiness um, preacher and writer, and his name was S.A. Keen, in his book, Pentecostal Sanctification, listed these media by which God performs the work of sanctification in two groups. One, the divine accessories in entire sanctification, and two, the divine agencies in entire sanctification. So under the divine accessories in entire sanctification, we have the blood of Jesus Christ is a divine method for holiness. This is the accessories, the blood, the truth, and faith. Those are the divine accessories uh, for affecting holiness. The divine agencies are different. Those are the three persons of the Trinity, the agency of the Father, of the divine Son, and of the divine Spirit. This is helpful, uh, a helpful classification in studying this subject. However, for the purpose of this outline, we will note particularly three media. That's what's going to happen in this part three as we're going through divine methods for affecting holiness. And that is uh, the atonement, which includes the blood, the spirit of God, and the truth. Uh, faith will be considered more particularly when we study the requirements that must be met when a soul is seeking to be sanctified and when a soul is sanctified. So the agency of the Son will be considered as we study the atonement and the agency of the Father has already been noted in chapter 2. Uh, as or ch I say chapter two, that's of this book, but I, lesson two, if you go back, it'd be the same thing. Um, so of this outline, when we studied about God being the source uh, of all holiness. So I was just reading this little introductory thing out of this book um, by Leslie Wilcox, Be Holy, buy it, get it, support it. If I could get it for free and try and make it available, um, I would, I could, I can see if I can talk with some people and figure something out, but until then it's worth purchasing. Uh, we're going to move in then to the atonement here this morning. And so the atonement, um, well, well, we'll start this way. Justification, sanctification, the witness of the spirit to our sonship and cleansing, the power and power to live before God in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives are offered to us through the atonement and intercession of Christ on terms that we may meet. So that means it's possible. God is not God has not given us terms that are impossible to meet. He's given us conditions for us to meet. And we must meet those conditions if the blessings that are named are going to be ours. And mainly we're talking about the blessing of a holy heart. We say it's a blessing. It is a blessing. Just the salvation is a blessing. All of salvation is a blessing to us. It's not something we've earned. It's something that is a gift to us. And yet God has given us conditions 
whereby we are, if we meet them, he gives us this free gift. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, uh, I don't know of any gifts that have conditions. Um, we're, an illustration only goes so far. Um, the, the point about uh, God saying that salvation was a gift is not to take it so far as that, but just to say that it is not something that you and I are going to earn. It's not like somehow I'm going to better myself and then I'll get to a certain tier, tier uh, like martial arts where you work up um, certain belt ranks and then you get to the rank of black belt. It's not like I'm going to work myself up to a certain rank and then I'm going to be holy. No, I meet God's conditions and God makes me holy. Uh, so that's the the part of a gift here. However, our present thought centers, this is J.B. Chapman speaking, another holiness writer, on our complimentary claim that the atonement of Jesus Christ is not only as wide as the human need in its reach, but also as deep as the human need in its possible application to the individual. By this, we mean that the redemptive scheme of Christ provides full salvation for every man, as well as free salvation for all men. So the atonement reaches the width of the world. There's not a soul who cannot be saved if they do not want to be. If they seek God and they desire him and they follow after him and they they bow before him, they confess their sins, they meet his conditions and his conditions for being saved is simply to repent of my my sins, put that behind my back, that life once and for all, and then flee to Christ and cleave to him, and he's going to save. He's going to change us. For receiving a holy heart, he then wants us to lay our all down on the altar as a living sacrifice, and we can see that uh, many different types of things go back to lesson one. Um, you'll you'll see some of this about sanctifying. When we're told to sanctify, we are told to be consecrating. And so we need to then consecrate or give our all to God. And then the same thing, we believe God to then sanctify or make us holy within. So that's where we're starting here. And this is what the atonement does. This is part of what the atonement does. So the atoning work of Christ is the provisional means of sanctification. That's God's provision for us to be holy, to be sanctified holy, to be made new creatures in Christ, to be filled with the spirit of God, to walk as Christ walked. This is all provided for us in the atonement of Jesus Christ. So where does that leave us? Well, whatever sin may be, J.B. Chapman says, sin is at the base of all our woes. And whatever holiness may be, holiness is something apart from sin. Sin is soul sickness. Holiness is soul health. The atonement and intercession of Jesus Christ are to the end that we may be delivered from sin and made holy. That is the atonement of Christ to be delivered from sin, to be made holy. And the atonement of Christ is far broader and deeper than probably we can even realize. But in our scope of what we're talking about here this morning, deliverance from sin, to be made holy and to live holy, that's wrapped up in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Some people have asked, what is the atonement? This is some kind of catchy little thing, but it does help to understand something. You and I, because of our sins, have made a great gulf between ourselves and God. The atonement is that which brings reconciliation between us, the rebels against God because of our sin and transgression. It brings reconciliation so that now I am having a 
a real relationship with God with no sin hindering or severing that relationship. So the word atonement, people have said, means at-one-ment. Now, that's very simplistic, but it does help us to gain the idea. The atonement is basically what God has put in his, in his government uh, of souls and in the government of humanity to take care of the sin issue and make a way for us to be reconciled to God and then made new creatures so that we don't go out and do these same sins again. This is the atonement. Where do we get this? Well, obviously, you can look in the Old Testament. There's the types uh, uh, of Christ and the atonement. We find the day of atonement in the Old Testament. We find the slaughtering of sheeps and goats and bulls and birds and all sorts of things. The shedding of blood was the remission of sin. The, the idea of the atonement is strewn throughout the pages of Scripture. However, the Old Testament atonements were just a type pointing to the one atonement, Jesus Christ, which is the end of all other atonements and sacrifices. There is one atonement. If we look in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, we see a little bit of this as the atonement relates to holiness of heart and life. He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, excuse me, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So here we find first the picture that the, the close relationship that God, that Christ has with his church is the visible human, I don't want to say illustration, but the way that we understand it is a, is a marriage covenant, a husband and wife loving each other. That kind of close intimacy is supposed to be that of the church in Christ. We're told that Christ gave himself for the church. Why? The scripture says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So let's go back for a moment. We're told in John chapter three, God gave his son so that the world might be saved. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his only begotten son for that purpose. So God gave his son for the world for pardon that's the forgiveness of sins, justification, to free us from that wrath to come and to deliver us from that death, that eternal death, and then to give us eternal life begun in the soul now. God gave his son to the world for that reason. We're told here something different. Christ willingly gave himself for the church for a purpose. And we're told here that the purpose is to sanctify the church. Now, I do need to break this down just a little bit. Uh, most of what people would say, if we said, what does sanctify mean? If we said that in present-day evangelical circles, most people park along the definition of meaning that it means set apart. That's only part of what the definition is. This, however, when it is said that Christ sanctifies the church, does not mean that Christ gave himself for the church to separate themselves or to set the church apart. That's not why Christ gave himself. Remember, when God does the sanctifying, it is that he is making us holy. 
when, when sanctification is applied to a man, it is speaking about a life and heart of holiness. When God sanctifies, he is the one making us holy. When we are commanded to sanctify, it is to set, it's for us to set ourselves apart or to consecrate ourselves. Many times you can read in the Old Testament, he says, Sancti- up and sanctify yourselves. I'm going to come down to the mount on Mount Sinai. He's saying, wash yourselves, change your clothes, get ready, set yourselves apart, get yourself away from uncleanness, don't lie with your wives, all this kind of stuff. Set yourself apart. God wasn't going to do that for him. He commanded them to do that. It's the same today. When we're told to sanctify ourselves, what we're being told is to set ourselves apart, to consecrate ourselves, to separate ourselves from everything that is wrong and unholy, and then to place ourselves in the hands of God. And then at that point, God sanctifies by making us holy. I am separating myself. I'm laying myself out on the altar, and God's going to make the fire fall. So when we sanctify, it's to set apart or consecrate. When God sanctifies, it's to make holy. And if you want to learn a little bit more about that in some of the verses, go back to lesson one, uh, where we talk about the terminology of holiness and we go through definitions um, with the verb sanctify. So go back and listen to that for review. So once again, just to recap, this means that Christ gave himself for the church to make the church holy. So that, he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So here we find a portion of the atonement, Christ giving himself. Now he is the atonement, Christ giving himself that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle. And this is referring to the perfect sacrificial lamb. The lambs in the Old Testament had to be a lamb without blemish, without spot, uh, and then they were to be offered up for the sacrifice. So Christ is is that perfect sacrifice. But then he says he is going to make the church holy so that the church also is spotless without wrinkle and is perfect like he is perfect. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m., and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. What a beautiful picture here of the atonement of Jesus Christ, he's willingly giving himself up to the church so that the church might be holy. This isn't the only verse, however. Let's look at, we're talking about this provisional means of God, that the atoning work of Christ is the provisional means of sanctification. Hebrews 10, 14. We're told here, or we'll read this, but for by one offering, he, that is Christ, hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So Old Testament, again, many offerings um, that needed to be made, and they needed to be made every year. Uh, The Day of Atonement was a remembrance of our sins and that those sins were not fully taken care of. We needed to atone for those again and again, year after year. But there's something different about Jesus Christ in his atonement. 
it wasn't just a lamb that was slaughtered and having to do that over and over again. And Hebrews says something like, uh, you know, if there was nothing wrong with the sacrificial system in the priesthood, why would they have to come um, continually year after year remembering their sins if those sacrifices were enough? The rhetorical question, that, that is a rhetorical question. So we realize the answer is that we needed something better than just those lambs. And here we're told in Hebrews 10, 14, that better sacrifice is Christ. We're told that he hath perfected, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Just, um, I'm looking this up in a Greek interlinear Bible and interlinear Bibles are when you have the English words, you have the Greek underneath it, you have the um, Strong's concordance numbers and this particular interlinear Bible also has uh, parts of speech and whatever that are mixed in there so that you can see it in the original, even though I myself am not a Greek scholar and probably most of you listening would not be Greek scholars, we can still have access to this information and study things out ourselves. This phrase, hath perfected, um, is actually one word in the Greek, and that one word uh, is more the word um, perfect, but because of its tense, it's in English said, hath perfected. This is the Greek perfect tense. Um, that means something that was done at a precise moment in the past, something that you can go back to and say that happened, and yet its effects continue to go on in perpetuity forever and ever. So the perfect tense is it really happened back there and it's still working now. So when we think about that, I mean, you can read that just there, but that that strengthens the idea. For by one offering, he hath perfected. It was done back there and, and when Christ was on Calvary's cross and it is effective from that point forward. And it's that way, even when we take hold of what he's purchased for us here, that sanctifying, cleansing work, he's saying that at that moment, he's perfected uh, forever them that are sanctified. So this is helping us to realize that this is an effective work of God in the soul of mankind. It works, in other words, and it's not something transient. It's not something fickle. It is a lasting work because Christ's work is lasting. That work that Christ does in us is lasting. Can you and I step out of the way of God and not abide in him? Absolutely, but it's not his fault. It's our fault. That is to, that is to help us understand that we don't just live in the low swamplands. A lot of people think, well, I've failed so many times. It must be that God can't really do this for me. That's the wrong way to think. The way to think is God can do this for me, but there's something in me that's causing a bit of trouble. And it's my privilege to go to God and say, what is it? And I can get set, strengthened, established, and settled in God if I want to, if I seek God, and he will then do that. It's like the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came home, the father came running to him. When we go and take steps towards God, he's taking steps towards us and his grace is there and sufficient and ready to pour out in our lives to change us and make us new people, to make us holy. That is provided for in his atonement. He, by one offering, purchased this for us. It can happen, it's effective, and it works, and it's a lasting work. Again, in the same book in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, so here's the purpose, suffered without the gate. So why did Jesus suffer without the gate of the city? Well, he was like the scapegoat, which was the Old Testament typology, and he was to bring the sin out of the camp. 
We're told that the reason he suffered out of the gate was so that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, to sanctify his church with his own blood, to cleanse his people with his own blood. So you see the provision there. The sanctifying is not setting apart, but making holy. This is for you and I in the atonement. Now, there's probably various other verses we could go to, but these are strong verses, ones that make a case that are not so hard to dissect. It's right there. It's point blank. We can see it. Jesus here then is the sanctifier through his atonement. Thank God for that. Without Christ, we would be lost. We would be in a mess. Now, some of these verses have brought this out, but the blood of Christ is the efficacious or effective means of sanctification or of cleansing from sin. So it's the blood that is the effective means. A man, Lowry, a holiness preacher, said this, all things sprinkled were made typically clean by the blood. It was a ceremonial sanctification at that time. But then we read in the scripture, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So it's no more a ceremonial cleansing in Christ. It's a real cleansing. That was the difference between Christ's sacrifice and the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And much of modern day evangelicalism is really an extension of ceremonial cleansing. We say we're cleansed because of our doctrinal position or our position in Christ, but we still live an unclean life. That is completely and utterly foreign to the scripture. He makes us holy. We're not just positionally holy. We are holy through the blood of Christ. It is this purifying potency of our Lord's sacrificial work that makes the word blood so prominent in the New Testament in connection with spiritual sanctification. So the blood, we cannot make belittle the blood. If, it, if any church that you know of is belittling the blood and doesn't want to talk about it, they are really cutting you off by the very means of by which we are saved, sanctified, pardoned. It is the blood of Christ that has done these things for us. And we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of Christ is something we should sing about and talk about and preach about because it is by his blood that we are saved. It is by his blood that we are made holy. It is by his blood that we are going to endure according to the scripture. Hebrews 13, 12, which we already read. Wherefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. It's by the blood. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So what does the cleansing? The blood. We also find that men are urged to holiness on the grounds that they have been redeemed. It's already happened. I've already been saved and now I'm urged unto holiness. We look, we see that in Peter. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Link that with the command uh, from the ground of, from which all this springs, and that is the redemption in verses 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as is of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. So you are redeemed, now be ye holy. That is the grounds from which it springs. A few other places where Paul mentions. So he, he urges to holiness, purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So there's the command to be holy. And then it's on the grounds in the uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20 where he says, 
Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Because you're redeemed, be holy. Uh, Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ, with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So here is the command and exhortation to be holy. And it's because, verses 18 and 19 of Romans 6, being then made free from sin, we're redeemed. Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. So men, people, you and I are urged to holiness on the grounds that we have been redeemed. And this is all inside of the atonement. So where are you, dear listener? Are you a saved Christian? Do you know your sins forgiven? You've been born again, and yet you know that there's something inside of you that's not quite right. You don't have that holiness that the Bible is speaking about. You know that there's something wrong. The fountain, the pollution, the motive of the heart is not quite right. Even though you are, you clearly know there's been a drastic change in your life. You know you're saved. There's something still quite not right. What's going on? You are urged to holiness, as we find inside of the scripture. And your next step then is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I would love to talk with you about this. I'd love to help you along with even this, which we went through this morning and help you to find what the Bible is urging us onto, which is holiness of heart and life. Please like us and follow us on our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Gab, YouTube, for more teaching and preaching. Tell your friends about this broadcast and our social media accounts. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.